everybody, and welcome to a new episode of StartupRad.io, your podcast show with startup news and interviews from Germany. All right, welcome to the March news of Startup Radio. I'm Alyssa Jade McDonald from Bliss Chocolate, and I'm sitting here with Jörn. And tell us what's going on in Frankfurt tonight. Hi there, how you doing? Well, actually, Frankfurt is pretty beautiful today. We've been surprised by the first beautiful days of spring. And I also did bring you some startup news from this region here. You may know or may not know that there's a region around here called Rhein-Main, referring to the two rivers that cross this region. There is a record number of applications for new business licenses. Basically, they are making top spot within a ranking of all areas in Frankfurt in 2013. Offenbach, which is close to here, Wiesbaden and Frankfurt are within the top 10. Wow, why do you think that is? Have you got something funky going on in your water? <laughs> I'm not too sure, but actually, if you t take a look at this crater region, Rhein-Main region, it's actually bigger than, for example, uh, London. Do you mean in terms of euros or, or currency? Do you mean in terms of geography? In terms of geography, in terms of population, because we just have Frankfurt and all the surrounding areas are not called Fra Crater Frankfurt, and they're rather Wiesbaden, Darmstadt, whatever. So basically, therefore, the Rhein-Main region appears a little bit smaller, but actually they're pretty good. We do have a lot of uh, very different companies here. Everything that is related to transportation, because crossing Rhein-Main region is the busiest rail track in Europe, as well as one of the busiest sections of uh, highway, Autobahn. Also, we do have the airport Frankfurt, and then a lot of other stuff going on. For example, the busiest internet knot in the world is located here in Frankfurt. Wow, I had no idea. That's interesting. I see that um, Offenbach is um, number one, then Wiesbaden and then Frankfurt are mine number three. I can, I guess I can understand that because I actually founded my GmbH in Frankfurt in, in Ammain, in the city center. And at the time, my lawyer had advised me to rather set up somewhere in Offenbach or something just out of Frankfurt city because it would have been cheaper in terms of the um, umpt payments that you have to do. So it's mm. really interesting that um, that the difference, so in the Rhein-Main area that you're talking about, there is different prices for whether you're in the city as your company base or um, or in one of those outer suburbs like, um, like Offenbach. And what's that one that starts with E? That's where the big companies are Eschborn. based? Eschborn. Eschborn, exactly. exactly. Well, Apparently, that's really cheap to have your company, I mean, relative to Frankfurt City, much cheaper. Yeah, this is also a question of taxes, at least partially, because there's some taxes in Germany where you have given some kind of level and the county or city can twist it a little bit. And basically, the big cities, they twisted it upwards and the smaller cities around it twisted it downwards. Mm -hmm. so, so basically, if you, if you want to save taxes, you go there. That, that's what I was told, but I didn't. 
<laughs> I didn't because I actually wanted Frankfurt. So I mean, but that's a great advice for startup companies to have in mind is like, do they need to be geographically close, but they can be from a tax perspective in a little bit more comfortable area or not? I think that's a really important thing to have in mind. Yes, as soon as you make profits. That's always important. And let's just assume that startups start with profits. I have heard some do, but I'm not convinced everybody does. Very good. Moving on, in other news, there's been a data theft problem in the fintech scene. Specifically, it was Credit Tech that came out and said that, in fact, during the summer of 2014, they had internal data theft. Now, Grundesian.de have reported on this, and they said that there were 2,000 scans and photographs of identity documents from the network published. Now, the interesting thing is, is although this occurred in the summer of 2014, the communication is mostly coming out now. And during the time of the incident, Credit Tech never actually made it public knowledge. What do you think of that, Ian? Not say I'm surprised because if you follow the news in Germany, there was some, some buying of data cities, for example, from banks in Switzerland or Luxembourg or wherever. So basically tax havens and they bought data with account numbers, with people, with addresses and all of this stuff. Basically, it's also internal data theft what happened there. So it's, well, I would not say something that occurs regularly in the financial scene, but it's something that happens more and more often, unfortunately. And we suddenly find that okay. It was apparently email addresses, real names, dates of birth, phone numbers, and passport data. That is essentially all the all the stuff that you need for identity theft. Yes, especially the passport data. That is very important mm -hmm. because in Germany, for example, in the United States, you can open an account with a social security ID, right? Yeah. In Germany, you need your passport. That's a worry. And apparently the data came from Australia, Czech Republic, Spain, Mexico, Peru, Russia, and Poland. Basically, all the company, all the countries where Credit Tech um, in the year of 2014 was active and also with its subsidiaries. So it wasn't even uh, confined to any one area or any one subsidiary, but um, quite significant. Mm -hmm. Especially then, since Credit Tech is basically a big data machine what they do is they provide next generation credit scoring and also use social media data mm -hmm. so i guess now comes the question and rolling back to your um first comment was i mean that bad like is that necessarily big when you compare it to as you say the swiss bank account or the or the private offshore bank account theft i mean what what do we consider now to be big or bad in terms of data theft? Like, is it numbers of users? Is it depth of uh, personal information? I, I'm not sure. <sighs> Good question. Basically, I would say every one of them is pretty bad. Um, and the larger the depth of personal information, the more worrisome for the person in question. But Basically, it's something that will happen more and more, I'm afraid. Absolutely. You know, I'd love to read some articles about how to protect that. Like, for example, I mean, even in the, you know, I have a small chocolate business. It's 
active in social media and I'm highly aware of everything that we are doing in terms of protecting my own identity. For example, I have a signature that I only use for my banking and passport and I have a completely different signature that I use for the public aspect, let's say, of my company. So if I'm signing certificates or um, anything of commercial aspect, it's always with my, let's say, my <laughs> my company signature and not my actual personal private signature. And I think there are just some things that startups can really be aware of, not only in terms of uh, managing their own private data, but also, you know, that of, of their customers if they're responsible for it. Uh, Red Coon. There is a big media retail store called Media Saturn. It's not like the Radio Shack, but something American listeners could compare it to. And they do have an online subsidiary. Now the CEO, Mr. Sinner, made an announcement that he'll lead the online retail group called Red Coon of Media Saturn to 2 billion euro revenue. I'm not too sure if he can make it, but it's very interesting, especially since he has to compete with national and international competitors, for example, Amazon. And so what do you, what's your prediction? Hmm, good question. I'm, well, he makes the announcement, but to be honest, he doesn't tell how he wants to do it. On the other hand, it's very easy if you're already one or maybe the leader in electronics retail in Germany to establish a brand also for online retailing. Mm -hmm. I'm not too sure. Usually there are two different businesses. They do have different, let's say, barriers, different thoughts, different business models, but it's something that could work. But on the other hand, I don't know of any successful German retailer who completely set up uh, online subsidiary successful. Basically, it's just an extension of their presence of their shops. Actually, interesting that you mentioned that point, Jan, about, you know, can offline become online? It's um, very much in the face of the new changes that we see Amazon creating right now with Amazon exclusives, which is creating a shop for new gadgets from inventors directly. So um, they would basically like to, I mean, I guess you could call it theoretically, help startups or inventors by bringing their product to market faster. Um, but obviously, it's just a great opportunity for Amazon to secure more exclusive products or exclusive startups before they become mainstream. So their offer basically is to offer their giant customer base to get exclusive deals directly from the inventors or the startups who are making the products um, themselves directly. They're going to change their format for this Amazon exclusive shops and make it like a Pinterest-like format, which is very, very unusual for Amazon. And the design is apparently supposed to help like inspire shoppers to think of new products that maybe they didn't even think of and rather suggest things without waiting for an exact direct search, knowing that they're focusing on new or exciting inventions. Um, of course, you know, Amazon doesn't do this out of the kindness of their heart to support <laughs> new business in any way. Um, the deal is if you sell through them, you can't sell through any other third-party website or store. Um, however, you are allowed to sell through your own website or store in addition to Amazon. So, I mean, that's a completely different take on, on what you're saying there with the traditional 
online seller or the traditional offline sellers and you know standard media products and Amazon taking this new step in Amazon exclusives. Yes, what the usual retailers are also trying to do is they have the kind of own brands. So they're a little bit cheaper, but the quality is kind of comparable. So for example, if you're a high-end retailer of clothing, you not only have the Armani's there, you also have a little bit um, cheaper stuff there, branded stuff, and then you have your own brands. You only get them in your shop. The quality is good and the price is good as well. Mm -hmm. And this is something you have especially in your store. Basically, if you go into an upscale clothing retail, you may get everywhere, for example, Armani, Boss, Hilfiger, whatever. But those brands are special for you, so you differentiate yourself against your competition. And from what I understand, this is also a way Amazon tried to differentiate themselves. They have it, and the inventor in their own shop, on own website, have it. That's it. No more. Period. Punkt. Punkt. Genau. <laughs> Takes all the fun out of it. I'm not sure. You know, if I think about back to the start of my startup, um, you know, on one side, you feel like you want to have Big Brother there behind you offering his awesome target, you know, his especially qualified exclusive customer base. But on the other side, you know, I think, you know, as a startup, you just know that you're the best one that can ever champion your product through in the future and so i'm not sure if i i think anybody can love or, or stand for my product as much as i can as a founder the issue may also be a little bit you get yourself into this competition so basically if you would offer your service you would be in competition to all other subscription chocolate models whatever at amazon with the really, really big guys and a lot of branded guys and whatever, that would be a big issue for you, right? Absolutely. And I mean, on the other side, we've done so much product development um, based on customer feedback directly that we've heard because we're so close to our customer, we can get the feedback. And I, I've done 180 degree turns on my company about every 18 months since it started. And I, th as far as I understand, that's very normal in a startup company because you just get closer to what your core competency is and also the needs of your customer at the same time. So the, it's almost like putting, you know, a tin to your ear with a string connected to the customer and the tie to that, you know, the tie to that mouthpiece is to your ear and the more lean of a startup you are, the more you can adjust. Um, and I'm not sure if I'd want to have a big buffer sitting in the middle of that. Especially when you have the customers directly calling you well, you have this awesome new gadget, but part X and Y is usually falling off. Then if, for example, if you have Amazon, they say, okay, send it back. We refund you the money, period. And I'm not too sure what the inventor actually gets of it. In terms of the reason why for refund and if there was an engagement process to discuss. Not, not only that, just the feedback from the customer. Mm. Where did it break? How did you break it? What happened? Did actually the inventor mm. forget something important? Did he make a mistake on the product? Or does the client just happen to have an elephant at home and it stepped on it? 
that's uh, that's something we will see, but something definitely to watch with both the Media Saturn group as they go off to on and uh, with a new chef and as Amazon goes from mass to a bit more extensive. Exactly. One more question. Have you already read about Amazon services? Speaking of Amazon, one of the most successful online-only retailers is Zalando. If you're outside of Germany or Europe, you might never heard of it, but it's basically something modeled after Sabatos, the company bought by Amazon. Mm -hmm. I think they made shoes, right, Alyssa? Oh, as a woman, I can absolutely confirm that. <laughs> cheap <laughs> ones too, cheap and on trend. The ones that you buy and a month later you get told, well, that's very out of fashion now. And you're like, what? Well, I'm just wearing black shoes under my suit, so. You're a simple man. They're always the same. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, speaking of Solando, you may remember we told you in the news they got listed last fall. Mm -hmm. And usually there's a holding period for your shares. But now some of the investors, in including uh, the Summer Brothers Global Founders Fund, Rocket Internet, and company, investment company belonging to Holzbrink, they already sold their shares in Zalando, even though their holding period is not over yet. I think they worked with some kind of derivatives forward agreement stuff. Mm -hmm. What would you think about a company that listed last fall and now some of the main investors get out of it? There's something rotting on the inside. That's what I would be thinking. Let's see where it goes. Yep, the only holes are not just in the fashionable shoes for this spring. Uh -huh. <laughs> maybe that's why the fashion you love shoes, right? Do, but maybe that's why the fashionable shoes for this spring are, you know, with intentional lace made cutouts. Maybe that's why cutout shoes are so trendy because the company's going bust and they gotta save from the inside. Really? Cutout shoes? Mm. Haven't seen them yet. Oh, you just look at your girlfriend in about a month, she'll have them on. Okay, I see. So Another element in online retailer as well, where there is actually the Otto Group, which has been one of the really long-standing German retailers that originally started with, um, didn't they start with mail-based? Catalog. Mail order. Yes. Yeah. When exactly. I the catalog, the big stuff you got twice a year into your mailbox. And then you can go through and look at all of it and look and look and look. And basically only twice a year, they had to redo everything and send it out. And then they just sold out their stock. Pretty easy, right? Absolutely. Now well, it can be within 24 hours, everything is different. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of what online sales and, you know, trend-based sales have, have come to. Um, I think it's very interesting that the Otto Group did their best to try to keep up, you know, moving from print-based catalog trend sales to this more um, fluid type of sales that we definitely see in online retailing and i think what's very interesting is they they had an us payment system startup called yapital which was an app or a payment service that you could use say, for your goods um, in in store or even with affiliated merchants you could basically scan with your smartphone a qr code and and create your payment now what's interesting is that the otter group i think it's pretty pretty innovative they've actually started looking for a buyer for this system that they created internally. And when you see the uh, mouthpiece for the company talking about it, they say that they actually underestimated how difficult it would be to win end customers with a multi-channel payment platform. Um, and that basically that, you know, that difficulty is directly one-to-one -one related to that of a large user base. So um, we don't really know what 
what a large user base is in in reference to this or what it should be um, apparently they wanted to have about a 1 million customers who were registered on yapital to use it apparently at the end of 2014 it was like maybe eight to ten thousand so um, some people are saying that it did go into the five figure range but we can't really figure it out right now um, but what is interesting is that they put a hell of a lot of time and effort into that and are now looking to spin it off yes i think Germany is pretty tough for everybody who wants to do some electronic payment. For example, for my mom, payment with a card, not even a credit card, but a debit card arrived just two years ago. <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah, and a lot of Germans still pay a lot of stuff in cash. And I remember when I went to college in the States and came back and I was at the very famous um, fast food chain in a restaurant and wanted to pay something by credit card, they were almost offended. They had to search 20 minutes for the little machine where you can put your credit card in. Yeah, it's amazing. And then it worked eventually. Yeah. It took me just 45 minutes to pay. Oh, great. And your burger was cold by then. <laughs> but that is the interesting thing with a very cash dominated market, but then also I would say an underdeveloped online or um, digital payment method like I, in Australia I've seen for years now that you can just go up literally with your card it's like a tap payment with your card you just put your like your purse or your wallet still closed with all the cards in it you just tap it on a little tapper and I think all um, all transactions under 100 Australian dollars will just be automatically booked off your account so there's no signing no pin number no putting things in it's just tap based payment which is obviously great when you're in a pub um, but um, a very interesting in, in taxis, it's it's everywhere, and I don't even see a simple tap-based payment here in Germany. But as you say, very cash-based society. Exactly, I think it's based on RFID. Mm. And as soon as some newspaper brings a story in Germany that may be unsecure, it's dead. Mm. Interesting. Or maybe our big German banks are just coming up with something fantastic in the future. Maybe, but if all the banks have an agreement. It will take time. This is very true. But we will wish Otto Group good luck with finding a good purchaser for their in-house payment system. Maybe something that is outside of Germany with a more uh, digital transaction type of culture. You know, I mean, the Netherlands is just next door mm -hmm. and infinitely more digital payment friendly. Yep, I think so. I also found some news also from the Rocket Internet Empire, Lendico. Mm -hmm. Lendico, one of the peer-to-peer -peer credit platforms loses one of the co-founders and now they're not only offering retail retail credits but they're going to offer credit to companies as well there is a certain ceiling in terms of revenue mm -hmm. to which companies they lend money but basically they went to retail to business credits mm -hmm. p2p lending. and what do you uh, expect What's your prediction on that? Not especially Lendico, but I think the P2P credit platforms, they'll give banks a run for the money, especially if you keep in mind that most of the companies in Germany at first rely on credit. And secondly, it's dominated by a lot of small companies and a lot of small banks who do not have a favorable cost structure so they most likely cannot compete oh okay all right because they've got overheads in terms of fixed assets and things like that that they have to pay for 
exactly buildings a lot of employees all of that stuff so basically it will change the business credit market as it is right now but i'm not too sure how far it will go and how would this compare to things like Kickstarter and things like that? Would you say that this is more uh, set up for more business-based, like or larger business-based needs where figures might go into, um, you know, the hundreds of thousands of euros, uh, which is typically larger than what we see on things like Kickstarter? Yes, it could be. I do remember that I shared news from Bloomberg, I think. It might have been in December or November. So basically, it was a story about Landing Club, a peer-to-peer -peer credit platform in the United States that is now listed already. Bloomberg had a story saying basically on one side, there are the companies. And on the other side, there are more family offices, hedge funds, private equity outfits that are just deciding to give the credit with the press of a button. So basically, it's way too fast for banks to intervene there. And since they do have those bigger investors on the other side, there's much larger volume of play. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that could be something that is coming because those investors on the other side, they basically search for diversification of their investments. And what is better to, to diversify than, for example, just go out and lend it directly to company for example you want you want credit exposure to retail just lend it to a retailer that's it certainly cuts out some middlemen doesn't it mm -hmm. especially when you're a big investor you do have a real headache if you search for something very specific there's a big probability that you won't get it so you'll take a proxy product and hedge out all the risk that you don't like which makes it freaking expensive. Interesting. Yeah, very. Interesting. Yeah, very. Leanness in the lending, so to say. Exactly. What else did you find? I found, well, I guess regarding startups, not people who necessarily needed a huge amount to start up. These guys probably would not have been a key target. But <laughs> there's a company called Freeletics, which was started in early 2002, uh, 2012 by three guys from Munich. And... Um, Basically, they took part of a funding program that was part of the Technical University of Munich to start a, to start a startup in the gym. So basically, they were their own guinea pigs. They were their own startups. They they really took the end-to-end -end process of creating your own startup in your own backyard um, the full step. And so what they did is they they started really simply. They um, I mean their their whole model is about creating high-intensity workouts in a short amount of time that can give you good results. Now I'm sure you've seen lots of those on Instagram and on. Pinterest and on YouTube. I mean, I certainly can't escape them. They're offering 12 minutes, you know, 12 minutes to, to transform your life. Um, but what is interesting about these guys that they set themselves apart is they got in the very beginning, they, they got a bit of a name in 2012 with the guy of Levant who got about 7 million views on a four minute transformation video he did. So basically you're good reference, solid, you know, customer, um, testimonial got about 7 million views and from there the founders very smartly and very quickly transferred viewers to their website collected their emails and then gave them six weeks free to send them workouts and then they upsold them from there so using a freemium process with really great reference obviously with a solid product 
um, that's the the wonderful story of Freeletics. And I just think it's really cool that they basically started with a YouTube mm. video, a newsletter, and a couple of PDFs, and they're now... Yes, exactly. I have to admit, I did it myself in the past because I want to try it out. And there's also a big community factor involved in it. For example, there are WhatsApp groups here in Frankfurt, three or four. And mm -hmm. basically, I get a lot of messages all the time from people who make appointments to work out together. So it's this team spirit that keeps you going, but the program is really, really tough. And even though they tell you it's just four minutes and you just need X and Y, and you can do it in almost every weather, you need something for um, to hook yourself up and pull yourself up, pull-ups. You need 400 meter distance, 40 meter distance, two kilometer distance. You need this and that and this and that. And basically it was for me, I want to do it somewhere here at home or around. But basically when I want to do it, I had to go for a few stops by subway where I had a place to do my workout. And then basically another gym was closer, even though I liked the idea. And it's, believe me, it's very tough. Ah, like okay, got it. Yes, all the workouts do have the name of Greek gods. It is? I heard about that. <laughs> yeah, and um, Iris, it's the worst. Really? Whoa. But all this to say, I think the, the three guys from, from Freeletics certainly have something cool going on, especially, as you say, the community element. And I think that's the thing that's absolutely driving any startup or any company these days and their relevance in the market is the ability to not just pick up followers, but engage and create, create spaces for them to use their products and services together. That is absolutely, absolutely attractive. Mm -hmm. Exactly. By the way, attractive. Did you find any more attractive news? Absolutely did. I found some attractive news about Meerkat, which is, you know, an app that could be Game Changer or Twitter Killer. Have you heard about it? Yes, I've heard about it. From what I understand, it enables you to share a streaming on Twitter. That's correct. That's correct. Um, it's, it's really following on the trend of microblogging, um, necessarily. And I mean, what they're I guess, you know, Twitter has some troubles at the moment with their API limitations. They're not really letting so many third-party apps and services use it. They're putting those incredibly annoying sponsored tweets in their stream. Um, and Meerkat yes, is... Yes, big dislike for sponsored tweets. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, but what it is, is yeah, a simple live streaming app. Mostly it's currently just for iOS and you can start a video live stream which can also be distributed to your fellow, your Twitter followers, but it's video oriented. And um, that's, um, you know, that's a game changer. We all know what YouTube did with video. So I think in terms of sexy news and that, I mean, that in terms of creating engagement and, and a place or community element with more live activity would be very, very interesting to be looking out for. From what I read, they also do have their own app called Periscope, which is offering something similar truth be told i have both on my iphone but actually i have not used them yet so 
I will try. Maybe I can get a wireless LAN access and Mirko at or Periscope, one of the events we are going to attend. Oh, very cool. I've been actually playing around with Story, S-T-O-R-I-E, which was a, a video app from one of those YouTube bloggers called Fun for Louie. I'm not sure if you know of him, but he's a UK-based guy and he created an app called Story because he... Um, you know, he's managed to make a living from traveling around the world and making awesome YouTube videos. And he created a little type of app that you could make almost like a story or a YouTube video over the course of an activity. So if it's, you know, your day or get ready with me or what's in my bag or some of these other very popular uh, YouTube topics, you could, the whole app will just capture that content over the period of the amount of time you would like it to take, if it's one hour, one day, or whatever, and it will sew it all together for you. It will basically, if you edit as you go by just choosing to shoot the things you like, it will edit in terms of sewing the whole content together for you and upload it wherever you like, including Twitter. Awesome. I think I'll use it in the future for life events. Yep, it'd be a really great way of making summaries of things. I can imagine it if I'm out on the cacao plantation and it's, you know, waking up in the morning, going out, visiting something, cutting a, a tree, chatting with a plantation guy and then coming back home. I think it's just a great way of telling um, a long story necessarily and, and shortening it down and not having to do any of that annoying editing. I do have, so, sorry for, for being quiet, but um, I'm just trying to download the app. Um, but actually, there's something that really annoys me in this editing because most people won't realize that, but it takes us at least three times or maybe four times the time of the recording of one of those podcasts here to actually get it finished. At first, you have to get the news together, then you have to research a little bit about it, write about it, discuss it with the people, do the actually recording, and then at least twice the time of the recording you'll need for editing and then you make it look nice and uh write some show notes and upload it that's it period so even if you only have 15 minutes there are two hours working it like many things it looks simple at first that's like a woman's natural makeup it takes us so long to look natural never underestimate it i won't i promise <laughs> Did you find any other news? I did, actually, regarding um, actually women's makeup, probably bad apropos, but in, <laughs> in topic of girl power, <laughs> women who don't have the time to uh, actually do their makeup is typically mums or new mothers. And there's this really great startup out of Berlin called Mumpreneurs which is, no, I think there are quite some examples already existing in the Anglo-Saxon countries like America, UK, Australia, New Zealand about uh, mothers who are also entrepreneurs who work together to help each other forward in the um, in their in their startup. So the great thing about Mompreneurs in Germany is it was started by Esther Eisenhardt in Berlin, and she's been pretty much heralded by the Gründer scene here. And her her statement is that mothers are the most underrated resources of all. I think that's a really smart statement because whenever I think of any of my girlfriends who've become mothers, they infinitely become a hell of a lot more efficient with their time and activities. And um, mothers do somehow manage to get a lot of stuff done in a very short period of time, very efficiently. And so what Mumpreneurs out of Berlin does is it is a platform. It's a, it's a digital platform where mums who are founders can get together and know each other and exchange tips to avoid mistakes mm -hmm. in their startup. 
Now, there is a closed mumpreneurs group currently on Facebook, which has about 900 active members where women are sharing all sorts of things. Um, They also have live seminars about CEO, um, SEO optimization, um, legal tips, um, any general like young or startup entrepreneur based errors that are made, how to use or create a blog for your business. Um, these sort of very functional tips all within the realm that you are an active working mother with your own startup and a very vibrant home life. Nice. Compared with that, I found very boring news. One of the leading DIY or hardware stores here in Germany, Tom, T-O-O-M, is trying together with Cross Ventures to get a garden store, garden online store here in Germany. Let's see how it works. I would not be aware of any just garden online store that is not some niche market corner whatever business. But let's see if they can make it fly. The summer will tell, right? Absolutely. The summer's the key time. I mean, they already have a huge knowledge base from their tomb stores. I've, I've bought garden stuff myself there, <laughs> everything from seeds to pots and things like that. So they should have a great starting base with a clear knowledge of who's buying what at what time of year. So their campaigns should be pretty well stocked in terms of what to say when. I totally agree, especially if they make their markets, the delivery centers from where the people get their stuff delivered, they might even be much faster than any possible online-only competitor. That would be smart. And also the opportunity that you can go into the store and have a look at the things and and test it out or, or you know sit on the garden furniture or something like that, especially if it's a larger or expensive purchase. Um, but then you can go home and order it online and not have to schlep the stuff home yourself necessarily. I think that could be a great use because they obviously have a huge immobilia and a huge real estate um, investment already with their existing stores. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or call to actions from their dockets and there's so many wonderful things to be done. Did you find something else? Yeah, I did. Actually, I found a bit of a bit of a downer, a bit of a downer, even though it is spring. And that was, although in CBIT, which is the uh, technology conference that pounds out the German technology scene every March, um, despite there being very good startup presence at CBIT, there is a bit of a valley of death topic regarding venture capital or funding after the startup stage. So once an innovation idea or business has been proven to be good, there seems to be a bit of a funding bottleneck in German startups in the middle stage funding round. That's like the two to 10 million euro mark where businesses need to hit the ground running. They have to you know, expand or establish themselves deeply in the market. They've proven their concept and now it's time to let go and they are really struggling to find the amount of money they need. Now, Jürgen, the scary part is, is that about 70% of middle round funding currently coming from venture capitalists at the moment for German startups is coming from outside Germany. It's mostly foreign VCs who were mostly only looking at Berlin, uh, but they're not finding anything locally. Yes, exactly. I do think that is a big issue. That is something we are also working on. For example, you may have noticed most of the startups we're talking to since, let's say, six months. A standard question would be, 
do you need funding? So basically, not only make sure the people in Berlin get their fair share of VC funding, but there are also a lot of companies in need of funding in Munich, in Frankfurt, in Hamburg, and everywhere in between. And I do think if a foreign potential investor does a lot of research, talks to a lot of people, looks into a lot of the regional, very regional startup news that they have there. For example, just here in Frankfurt, Rhein-Main Startups, they'll find a lot and very interesting startups here, not only Berlin. Got it. And what about that two to 10 million euro mark? What What's going on in there? Is that really the, uh, the death valley? Well, that's kind of a tough question. Don't think there's a lot of classical venture capital here in Germany at all. You have some successful entrepreneurs. They do more like a business angel stuff mm -hmm. and help you tool up the company. But if you only have something like a classical seed investment and then you're again searching for something, that might be very hard. Mm -hmm. They are also the corporate um, venture capitalists now. They are accelerators and all of this stuff that you should look at. But if you only want to go for venture capital, it could be quite tough. To the companies we talk to, we would say it takes minimum six months and up to 12 months to find the right partner to work with, the right VC. And that is a big issue because many startups who have a product ready, they cannot wait 12 months or let's say even 18 because they had a very long search till they can get their business off the ground. Most of the entrepreneurs have to say after six months, sorry, I'm out. I got to give up. Got it. And that's the sad part about it. Yeah, that's a tragic part because you would think the birthing and the the getting getting the business model proven is the difficult part, but really it's that, that middle stage survival. Puberty, I guess is what we call it mm -hmm. in human terms. <laughs> exactly exactly that would be something if you're an international investor if you hear this reach out to us we can help you <laughs> absolutely and what else is making news in your world e-commerce in germany is world class would you have guessed that uh honestly no and especially when i refer to <laughs> our topic earlier today of germany quite a cash-based credit allergic digital payment allergic culture tell me why you think that is why is it well at first sexy? Are, well at first there are the companies who do it do it very diligently but also keep in mind germany is the third largest e-commerce market in the world so ju just keep that in mind it's very averse to e-payment buying online whatever stuff but it's still the third largest market in the world. So now imagine if we would love to do e-payment, online shopping, whatever. Just imagine how this could take off. It's got sexy written all over it. Well, that was basically for me the March news. Follow our Twitter feed, uh, startuprate.io. Find us on Google+. Find us on twitter on facebook and now we even have an our own account at weibo that is you know that? do you know that chinese twitter weibo <laughs> so if you like it share it ni hao ni hao xie xie a xie xie da jia zai jian 
Very cool. <laughs> Thank you for everything. Well, so send in absentia. We send beautiful greetings from Kirill and Philly, who can't be with us tonight, but will be with us next, we promise. next month. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Looking forward to having you back. Thank you. Bye. Bye.